With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Do you see there's a Babcock University in Nigeria? No. And there was news coming out of there recently. There, and it's getting so many unnecessary, un- uh-huh. <laughs> indirect threats. It's about a sex scandal. <laughs> so I looked at Babcock and I got like Nigeria sex scandal. I'm like, this is not what I was looking up. But oh, yeah. All right. Rank rat report. What are we, Epi 9? And again, we got some big news to talk big, about. What news. else are we going to talk about? The biggest news We're not even going to touch on the games right now. Let's just get right into it. We're going to go thoughts on Babcock. Was it a total failure? Uh, Then we're going to say something nice about Babs because he was our coach. He was at the helm. And then thoughts on Keith. And then we're going to debut new segment, uh, Hey Sheldon, where we yell at newly appointed coach Sheldon Keith to try to get him to implement our ideas because we're just so, so damn smart. Anyways, as always, joined by Josh. Let's jump right into it. Your thoughts? I mean, it's a happy day if you're a Leafs fan. I, I can't see how you could look at this any other way. This team, I mean, I, I had a rant last week about Babcock and, mm-hmm. and how it, it's his time to go. And, and that doesn't even include the three losses that they had this week, mm-hmm. right? So it's time. That's it. It's been time. It's been brewing this year. To be honest, I wish they would have done it this summer. I understand why they brought him back. I get it. Feel like that was more of a, new assistance too. Yeah, they gave him a chance, um, and yeah, that it was time for him. I think he knew it too. There's a little interview that uh, that someone posted online. I can't remember who of him today. I don't know what time today. Oh. Talking about Dubis flying in with John Tavares, and you could <laughs> kind of see the look on his face was like he knew it was coming. I yeah. think that's my opinion. But uh, mid roadie too. You know, I, how do you he, think he flies home? I don't know. <laughs> it's better than getting fired on the tarmac like Lane Kiffin at USC. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it, uh, one thing I want to point out quickly to start is that I saw a lot of people in the initial reaction to the firing that were surprised that, like, Brendan Shanahan was the one that seemed to have fired him. He The quotes that Leafs PR tweeted were from Brendan Shanahan. A couple things about that. First of all... Of course, Brendan Shanahan is the one to fire. And Brendan Shanahan is the head of this organization, whether people realize it or not. He's the face. Yeah. Also, he hired him. Yeah. Like, there's, it does no good. I'm sure, no offense to Mike Babber, I'm sure if Kyle Dubas had his way, he's probably going to get fired this offseason. Yeah. But for anyone to be surprised that Brendan Shanahan is the one taking, well, not I don't want to say taking the blame, but at the front of this firing, he, he's still a huge member of this, of this team, of this... He's the president. He is, exactly. And... and no decision of this magnitude gets made without Brendan Shanahan. No, so, not at all. I mean, and I think I think Brendan has done a, a really good job in almost every single asset mm-hmm. so far as as the president of the Leafs. Yeah, including bringing in Mike Babcock to start. Mm-hmm. But and good on him for recognizing because you know it's been pretty much roses for him so far. Nobody has said like Shanahan made this mistake or whatever. I mean, yeah. some people are criticizing him for letting Lou go. That's not a conversation I want to get into right now, but. 
he, he recognized, I, I mean, this team, really this current roster, as I said last week, at its talent level, at the potential they could get to. It, it wasn't happening with the coach. Wow. That's it. Yep. Um, I agree on pretty much all fronts on that one. I mean, it... If this went on any longer, if Babcock was the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs any longer, I would accuse the Detroit Red Wings of sending Babcock and Shanahan over to screw over the entire Leafs organization because it was getting a little ridiculous that he was still he was still there. The team was wildly underperforming and they did I mean like if we if you recount the, the timeline of Babcock, you look at it, it was going well until what? I'd say in a overly positive aspect, after that boss, that first Boston loss, that's where the first Boston loss I was okay with. It was like, right. okay, well, the Bruins are still a good team. They were one seat higher than us. It's we came so seven. close. Yeah. Game seven, a couple of bounces here and there. A couple of guys had bad games when they shouldn't have. But then the next year, like you have Tavares, and the team didn't play very well in the second half of the, of the season. And then in the playoffs, they kind of blew it. And then on top of that, the start to this year, it was like, okay, this team's still supposed to be on the up and up. And we've just, it's seemingly crashed kind of thing. And it didn't look like Mike Babcock was going to pull us out of it. But with that being said, I'm so excited. I I really hope Sheldon Keefe actually changes his game plans, changes the formation of the power play, changes the formation of the penalty kill. Even after he's changed it to his way, change it. And then change it again. Adapt, react, readapt, apt, as Michael Scott said. And we saw absolutely none of that with Mike Babcock. And I, I really hope, and this is not, like, I think there's too many wedding bells for a coach getting fired. A, this is a guy's job. I don't. I didn't want to be happy that he got fired. I'm just happy about the thought of maybe something changing when things are going wrong. Yeah, you're 100% right. Well said. I think the biggest complaint both of us had about Mike Babcock, not only this year, but pretty pretty much his whole time here, is he is extremely stubborn. He really is. Mm -hmm. Going back to his last pregame scrum before his last game as a Leafs coach, when they asked him if he was planning on making any changes or... Or what's going on with the roster? He said, well, oh, Mike Babcock The media is a whole on- other... The way he handled the media yeah. is a whole and other... What did he say? Mike Babcock bets on Mike Babcock. Okay, Mike, you bet, and you lost this time, buddy. Sorry. I, I mean, at the end of the day, his stubbornness is probably one of the biggest reasons mm-hmm. that he did not successfully take this team to the level that I think a lot of people expected him to. A lot of other people. And, and you know what? I agree. Sheldon Keefe, or we'll get into Sheldon Keefe in a little bit. Yeah. But he, he, the thing we want is just change now, especially as a nine, at 9, 10, and 4, what their current record is. Do anything right now. I mean, we, we should be prepared for tomorrow's game, or tonight when this podcast comes out in, in Arizona, that he's going to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Because pretty we've much. watched pretty much the exact same power play, exact same penalty kill, exact same lineup pretty much, other than when guys get injured. Mm-hmm. Who knows what he's going to do? And I'm excited. I'm excited to see changes. Exactly. I think that's the biggest thing that everyone's most excited for. Not that someone lost their job, although, okay, he lost his job. He's not He's not going to be lining up at the Red Cross, at the Salvation Army. He's still, getting paid. He's still, he's getting, still getting, paid. getting paid a lot of money. But, I mean... It just brought back a flood of memories 
that uh, Babcock getting fired. Do you remember when he was hired? Like, I was extremely happy. Extremely I, I happy. I remember I was videotaping his press conference. Like, wow. Like, we got Mike Babcock, Olympic gold medalist Mike Babcock, Stanley Cup champion Mike Babcock, and consistency, Jack Adams award. And, like, the most wild thing was this year, I just kept thinking back to that 13-14 season when he was with the Red Wings, where it was like, this year, it was, oh, we... It, it kept going back to, oh, but we still have injuries. We still have injuries. We still have injuries. Do you remember why he won the Jack Adams in 14, 2014? He overcame injuries. Yeah. And he couldn't do that with this much talent? I thought that was a little eye-opening there. I mean, another thing to point out, too, is just because people were excited for Mike Babcock to come in, he didn't win the Cup with the Leafs, doesn't mean it was a complete failure. We'll get into that now. Was it a total failure? No, because you know what? At the time, he was considered one of the best coaches. I mean... Yeah, his Detroit end was whatever they lost early in a couple of playoffs, but the team was changing a lot. Like you said, a lot of injuries were happening, and he had had a Eight really good players. nine years there overall. But something that to keep in mind too is the amount that the NHL has changed mm-hmm. in five years is a lot. Insane. The two Stanley Cup champions, the last two years, Babcock were in was in Detroit, where Chicago, and the year before was the Los Angeles Kings. And now, now uh, look, look, now think about how different the league is now. And that, I think that played a big part in why this wasn't as successful as a lot of people thought it would be. The game changed a lot. And as we know about Mr. Babcock, he is not the most willing to change with the times. And I think that really did him in. But was it a complete failure? I would say no, because you know no. what? First year, he told us there's going to be pain. And he was right. He did a good job setting expectations in that first year. Mm -hmm. That, you know what? Let's be bad for one year. And it was okay. A lot of people bought into his plan. They bought into what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And they were bad in that first year. Year two, you get Matthews. Marner gets called up. Full year in Nylander. And you know what? That team, I don't think a lot of people expected them to make the playoffs. But they did a good job. They made the playoffs. They're going to be, yeah. And, and it was an exciting season for them. So Very. the first two years, he did a really good job of managing expectations. And then on top of that, he did build an idea of, okay, we have now that we've gone through a little bit of pain, let's bring a winning ideologist, bring a winning, I hate this word, but bring a winning culture. And I think he did a decent job of that, to mm-hmm. be honest. Year three to start again, I mean, you had, you had, um, sorry. This was before Tavares, but again, another good year. You're right. It changed when they lost in that game seven to Boston. Mm-hmm. Got Tavares, then the expectations are sky. It was, that whole, it was an amalgamation, I feel, of that whole series, too, where Matthews was not that great. Like, Nylander, I mean, sorry, Marner was good that series. Nylander was okay. I mean, you didn't get the best performances out of your stars. And then, obviously, everyone remembers the Frederick Anderson, Jake Gardner game seven, where it was, I mean, they were right into it. And then, like, it was, it was so close. And it was just, a, they, they ripped our hearts out kind of thing. So. I would say the first two and a half years. So, basically, the first half of his coaching stint here. Was overly exactly, successful. Exactly according to plan. He just didn't. He Which got, is wild because one year we came dead last. But that was the plan. And we were playing okay up until trade deadline. We just told people to stay home. We traded away everyone except for Michael Grabner. Which that still blows my mind. We couldn't get anything for Michael Grabner. Or um, what's his name that went to the Islanders and then got waived. And he burned his kids Islanders jerseys. Uh, I can't remember his name exactly. But we'll find that name very soon. Uh, but 
yeah, he, I still think we did a great job in that first year. We saw uh, a little bit of a display of the kids P. coming Parento. up. P.A. Parento. There we go. Yeah, he, he got weighed by the Islanders <laughs> the, the year after and burned his kids' Islanders jerseys. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, we needed that. <laughs> uh, but then we got a taste of the kids coming up. Connor Brown, uh, Garrett Sparks. Woo! Shout out Garrett Sparks getting us Austin Matthews. Um, William Nylander came up and he was so good that they couldn't send him down. Uh, but I mean, so it was an, a little bit, it was a, we lost a lot of games, but it was a little bit of an excitement to end the season. And then as you mentioned, yeah, it went according to plan. We overachieved. That was it. We overachieved in that next year. And I think expectations went a little bit higher and just, I don't think the team followed kind of thing. So how would you grade Mike Babcock's tenure with the Leafs? I would... That's tough. I'm going to say C. I'm going to give him a hard C. I may be a rookie Underwhelming. Score, but yeah. it, it just wasn't good enough. The first half was good, and the second half was very disappointing, especially the last calendar year. It's been extremely, extremely disappointing. Okay. I, I think I think a good way to sum this up is, is Mike Babcock was brought in to, to teach this team how to win, and then go win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I think he did the first job really well. I think he taught them how to be winners. He did not even come close to doing the second Execution. job. Execution. At the end of the day, you got to win. And he didn't win. Just win, baby. And, and everyone talks about how much of a winner he is. And we, this is redundant now. But he's won on a lot of good teams. And this was also a good team. But mm-hmm. he didn't get the job done. I think it's important to note, too. Again, the league changes. Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock's last... Nine, I believe it's eight seasons actually. Let's not count this one. Last eight seasons, he's been out of the first round one time. Yeah. One time. Let's let's think about that for a second. That's extremely Which season did he make it out? I think his second last year with Detroit. I think the lockout was Something around there. But I think I remember that Red Wings series and it was I, I thought the Red Wings I mean they lost to Chicago and it was a pretty close series. I did like that Red Wings team, but well, Never that's because everybody were still then back then. If you want to talk about how long ago it's been since he got out of the first round, yeah, his best two players were Datsuk Zetterberg, and I think Franzen was on the team. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Leafs fans, you know what? We were tired of, of losing, and we had patience to start. But once you sign John Tavares, there's no patience. He's, yeah, he's only here for seven years. It sounds like a long time, but we're we've already burned a year and a half with. Utterly disappointing results. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, a quarter well, of the way. Let's hear your grade. Uh, I, I said the same. I was going to not give him a letter grade, but I was going to say it was underwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it started off so well, and then it was just a very. Uh, uh, it was it was a frustrating and disappointing. I think underwhelming and overly frustrating in the second half, yeah. but a lot of highs in, in that first first half, we'll say. So, uh, I think we beat this top uh, Babcock. Oh, say something nice about Babs to end it. Uh, he seems to be a good family man. I don't know. He, takes, <laughs> he, does, he did a lot of good things in the community. I will say I did write down um, some players developed very nicely under him. And yeah. my first player is Nazem Kadri. I mean, yeah. how good of a two-way player did Nazem Kadri become under Mike Babcock? I mean, whether that be... Nazem Kadri made some personal changes in in his life and with his game and his training or whatever, or he Babcock really coached him up 
I mean, I, I think Babcock did have a big hand in that one. Um, another one, Zach Hyman. I mean, although he did not deserve to play first line minutes in his first year in the league, I, I think that goes without saying. That was wild. First line, 28 points. How are you? Um, Zach Hyman's become kind of an important player to this Leafs team, and people were crying for him back this year. In, after Hyman's first year, did you ever think that we would be cry- you would hear crying after, for him to come after back? After his first season, if you asked any Leafs fan who would you rather have, Zach Hyman or Connor Brown, it would have been nearly unanimous, unanimous Connor Brown. Connor Brown. And since then, yeah, you're right. Hyman has developed really well under... I don't know if that's because of Babcock necessarily. We'll never know. But he definitely helped him. Put him in a position to succeed. And he succeeded, for sure. The only thing I don't... Again, we're supposed to be saying something nice. But there's a lot of players that he did the opposite to. Where he purposely put them in positions where he knew they wouldn't succeed sometimes. And maybe stunted their development. For example, what about Andreas Janssen? How long was he on the fourth line before he got his shot? Oh my god, he got scratched at the beginning of last exactly. year. Now he's on the first line. So, we, let's say some, those are nice things, but to wrap off, I, I have a couple more comments. And then I was going to say my last player was Morgan Riley. I mean, mm. uh, he was on the up and up before that, but I mean, I, I think he's, he's done well. Well, it seems to me he's Babcock's favorite player if you read his statement today. He's yeah. the only player that he mentioned. The only person he mentioned other than Larry Tannenbaum and Lou Lamorello, which is interesting. But one thing I th- I'd like to call back upon what we've been talking about, his stubbornness. We talked about this the first podcast of the Leafs season with Spezza. Why did he do that? He, I mean, what was the reason to scratch Spezza other than being stubborn? Same reason as why he scratched Mike Medano. Exactly. And there's so many examples. And you know what? I'm going to bring a quote that I heard on Overdrive today from Jeff, Jeff, from Jeff O'Neill. A lot of people, whatever, they think O-Dog's a jokester, but this guy loves the Leafs. He's one of the biggest Leaf fans around. And he's very connected to that organization right now through a couple of different means. And this is the quote he had. He made the playoffs once and he had no business doing it. Then twice more. But he's not all he makes himself out to be. A good man, a family man, yes. Whatever, though. He's a pain in the ass to deal with. You ask the guys, maybe one or two likes him, and here we are. And I think that's a great way to describe Mike Bacow. He holds himself to be this great man who loves building big, high-character guys, but he's had no problem scratching guys for no reason, burying guys for full seasons in the press box when it was clear they should have been playing. Remember Josh Levo? Like... Remember Justin, Justin Hole last Hull. year? Remember Frankie Corrado a couple years ago? He got bare, absolutely buried by Babcock. And these are guys that he just decides he doesn't like. And he, they don't never get chances under him for, for reasons... That he won't even know. say. And, and again, something that I keep going back to is after both playoff series against Boston, he never took one ounce of blame. No. You know what? If you want to be the leader in that locker room with all those young players... And your excuse is, oh, hopefully next year we'll have a little more grit coming up. Like, are you kidding me? You played Matthews 18 minutes in the in the game seven. Take a little bit of responsibility. He played Leo Komarov one game 18 minutes, and he didn't even remember doing that. And, and you know what? It would be fine if, if he never made such a big deal about holding all of his players accountable all the time. Yeah. That's all he kept saying. We want to hold this guy accountable. When someone makes a mistake, we want to make sure he understands that it, you know he has to own mm-hmm. up to it, and etc. But he never did that, ever. Ever. And, and I see so many coaches in so many sports that are successful doing that mm-hmm. and taking the brunt for their players. Because you know what? Sometimes players don't have good games. I actually have an example from the NHL. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn have been have gotten a lot of criticism from a lot of people in Dallas. They're great players. I, I forget who they lost to a couple weeks ago. 
But their coach, Jim Montgomery, I believe, is the yeah. coach in Dallas, said, you know what, we need to we, we can't win if we have this type of production from our, our number one center and our number one winger. He said that at post-game comments. Everyone knew who he was talking about. The next day he came back and said, you know what? I was in the heat of the moment. I was upset we lost. I deserve a lot of credit for our loss. It shouldn't be all on those two players. Mm-hmm. I need to be better myself. That's how easy it is. It's that easy. And don't you think after that, Ben and Sam were like, you know what? Fuck yeah. Thank you. Not to swear. Sorry about that. But seriously, it makes a difference. I and think so as well. And it makes the, the players want to go up to bat for him. Exactly. How many players on this team do you think were... On, other than the fact somebody lost a job, and at the end of the day, no one wants to see that, but how many of them do you really think are that upset that Mike Babcock got fired? Zero. Seriously? <laughs> there's there's not really many. Maybe Cody Cece. Actually, That's you know, I, I want to ask you this question. Who do you think immediately benefits from Mike Babcock's being replaced by Sheldon Keefe? Um, number one, I think just... It's an it's a type of player, the type of player that can skate very well, that does the little things well, that shows up well in the analytics, uh, but maybe makes one or two bonehead plays a game that gets absolutely buried. I think Tyson, I, I mean Travis, Ty- Der- Tyson, Tyson Ta- I, I accidentally said his name. <laughs> Travis Dermott, Tyson Berry, William Nylander come to mind. Maybe Justin Hole, oh, Justin Hole, somehow like I don't I don't know how. He got like maybe mowed, somehow. he mowed Mike Babcock's lawn for a full summer or something, and got out of the ba- out of out of the Bab house and was able to get slip into the top four kind of thing. So I think yeah, there, there's a type of player I think benefits well. I think number one is probably Tyson Berry, considering how underwhelming his performance has been so far. Yeah, I think I think Sheldon Keefe will. We'll take the reins off and let him go. Mm-hmm. And, and just, I know it's easy to forget, but remember what Tyson Berry was doing the first five games this year before Mike Babcock really got his hands on yeah. him? He showed us what he can do. He, he's a good defenseman, and I hope he really comes into his own with Sheldon Keefe. Yeah. What about what about players you think that might ha, might be worse off Fall with Keefe? Fallout. Cody Cece? That's got to be the first player that comes Cody to Cody Cece is getting buried. I mean, yeah. Um... Who else is there? I'm Nick Shore. Think. Nick Shore is another bit. Freddie Gauthier. Freddie Gauthier. I yeah. think. I think. I don't know. I don't. He didn't play a very big role in Keefe's uh, Marley's no, team at not. all. He was the fourth line center, if I remember correctly. And we called up the fourth line center from the AHL, which, which is a little weird. And I mean, Freddie Gauthier, seven days of the week, he's six foot five. So I don't think that's going to be fly the same way with uh, Sheldon Keefe. And I think we're going to. Start to see, I don't know. I obviously don't have sources here. I obviously don't have a connection to the front office. But in my opinion, I think we're going to start to see the assistant coaches uh, have a voice, more of a voice. We're going to see their past styles more prevalent in the way that the Leafs deploy their team right now. That's a great point. And I think that the analytics are going to shine through. And we're going to start to see more of those... uh, High, cor- uh, high high possession, high coursey, whatever you want to call it. I think a lot of more decisions are going to be made based on analytics. So let's start, let's jump right into Sheldon <laughs> Keefe now. I think the biggest thing that the Leafs, uh, Leafs Nation, Leafs fans can look forward to is that his prior relationships with Dubas have only gone extremely well. Yeah. Not not even just success, extremely, extremely, extremely well. well. In Sault Ste. Marie and in 
the AHL winning the Calder Cup. I mean, that when, with Dubas and Keith have that is great as they are, I'm not going to say 100% of the time. You know, they're always on the same page. And, it, and if they're making a decision, they, they are doing it together. And it's not Kyle Dubas wants a guy to play, mm-hmm. and Mike Balcom doesn't think he's a good enough man for him to play. And yeah. it sounds ridiculous, but this is the type of stuff that was happening in that locker room. So I, the, that's the, definitely the, po- the first positive, is that they're going to work together really, really well. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a divide. And that's something that's very important to Kyle Dubas. He talked, I, I mentioned this last week on the podcast. He He's emphasized throughout his, his career that it, he thinks it's extremely important for the GM and the coach in any sport, doesn't matter, hockey, football, basketball, whatever, that they see eye to eye. And this is what, I don't know if we, whatever Shanahan says about how those two egos mesh together, Dubas mm-hmm. and Babcock, it clearly did, it, it didn't work. It's very yeah. clear. So now we're going to get the opposite of that. Second of all, the way... The way that Sheldon Keefe has developed our prospects, how could you how could you expect anything more? How many more? seventh round picks are on this Leafs? L- let's l- let's read off the players on this team that he's coached: Nylander, Janssen, um, Hyman. Uh, okay, I have it. So I I didn't put in Nylander in this list. He because coached them though. He did, but Nylander came in. He was doing very well in Sweden. He came over. Yeah. He played half a season with the Marlies before Keefe came in. Right. Okay. So I'm I guess he did coach him. Yeah, yeah, but. If you want to talk about so I got I, I put down players that he he did start to finish. So okay, well, in, that's in fine. pro. Right. So Hyman, he had him from his first year. Yeah. Kapanen, first North American pro year, where he went from 25 and 44, people wondering is he going to be a good prospect to point a game in the AHL, most a very dominant AHL player. Dude, solid middle and now, six and yeah, winner, yeah. Not bad. I have some opinions of his players of late, <laughs> but anyways, Trevor Moore, that guy how did, that guy changed his game the, Changed his game so well and became such an impact player in the AHL and then in the NHL now too. Justin Hole. Justin Hole was nothing. He was a second round pick. He was then in the Chiefs and Toast League. And then now, Calder Cup champion, regular NHL defenseman. Who would have thought that a couple years ago? People were crying for it. It didn't look like it last year though. Then Timoshav Engvall. I put them both together because seventh round pick, fifth round pick. Timoshav was a very talented junior player, came into the AHL struggled for two years started to bring it on last year and then makes the team out of camp he's developed tremendously in the ahl travis dermott was already kind of a stud coming in but i mean he's been fantastic too gotier i don't care mason marchman he was i i thought that guy should have definitely went cis after his overager year now look at him he was knocking on the door a little bit at, at camp uh, Janssen, obviously a big one, flourished under Sheldon Keefe. And flourished, then, honestly. He really did. Callie Roseman and Andreas Borgman, I think, improved their game significantly under him, especially Callie Rosen. Honorable mentions, I have uh, Brendan Leipzig as well, who's a regular in Washington, as well as Adam Brooks, I think, is on the up and up, and then Frankie Corrado. Uh, but yeah. I have one name you didn't mention, and I have a question. Not that you, I didn't... Warn you, I was gonna. If ask it's a goalie, this. no. No. What about Jeremy Bracco? He's improved tremendously. I didn't put him on there because a he hasn't made the NHL yet. B he was a very very skilled player. I don't think his game has changed much under Keith. But but do you think now think we may developed. see him in the National Hockey League this season? That's an interesting discussion. Um, very interesting because he was. I mean. He was a he was a rock for Keith last year, and he, I mean he was 
incredible. Uh, he's been pretty good this year, not as hot, I want to say, but I think he'll hit his stride and start putting up ridiculous numbers soon. Uh, with that being said, I mean, I think it's very possible. Um, he's very familiar with the player, all as which is important to a coach, and I think, yeah, I think his chances have gone up for sure. And I think another name that we'll probably see back in the NHL eventually is Rasmus Sandin mm-hmm. as well. He really does like him and Lilligren, so that they definitely will be on the team. Lilligren has improved, yeah. He's he's had a much better start to the this year than he has uh, his previous. T- well, last year was, yeah. I mean, you did a great job there, though, summarizing the players that he's developed. That you know what, a lot of people did not think were going to be NHL. No, and not only have some of them become NHL contributors, th- these guys are staples on our team. Yeah, look up and down the lineup, like you said. He's got his his fingerprints are all over this lineup right now. And that's another thing I heard on the radio today. Again, you you always hear a variety of opinions. It's oh, the issue of a coach going into a new dressing room. He knows half the players. Yeah. He's coached half the players. Sure, it'll be an adjustment. But man, these, some of these guys are going to be fired up to play for, 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 Sheldon, for Keith. Sheldon Keith again. He want, they, he want to call their cup with these guys. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it's exciting, to be honest. It's a new lease on life for these players, it's, too, man. Yeah. They've had Babcock for all these years. and they, A lot of these players haven't played an NHL game without Mike Babcock. Exactly. And his, as we know about his style, he can be t- a tough guy to... To play for, and 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 you know what? Even going further, any sort of issues that were relevant that Mike Babcock mm-hmm. was bringing up to these players, especially a guy like Tyson Berry, you got a new lease on this season now. It's a clean slate for you. It's a new coach, and it, and these guys are going to be fired up to prove themselves to Sheldon Keith because he he's going to give them chances. These guys, they're going to get chances. I don't know if he's going to change the power play, but hopefully he does a little hopefully bit. Maybe see Barry on the first power play, but. I'm it's, surprised. It's, I did see the penalty kill did change a little bit last game. Um, they did get burned because I think some players shouldn't have been out there. Frederick but, Uh I think like Morgan. Uh, I don't know, but some guys just looked mm-hmm. out of position. But they were playing. They were playing differently. At least that was a nice little change I saw. They were pressuring them a little bit more. But anyways. I think I interrupted you. Go on. No, no. All I was saying, these players are definitely going to be excited. It's a new chance for all Mm -hmm. of them. Even Matthews. You're telling me that he and Babcock had the best relationship? I think it was quite the opposite, as we know. Oh, that's what I wanted. Before I forget, how many years do you think uh, will it take until we get the details of that infamous or mysterious Mike Babcock flying to Arizona situation? I don't know. There's a lot of things I want to know about Mike Babcock and his interaction. I don't think Matthews will do it while he's still playing, which is unfortunate. 100% no. I'm sure I'm sure if he has another, another Unless interview. Babcock comes up with a book saying, like, Austin Matthews was total garbage and all this well, stuff. Well, would you put that past him? I mean, look at this, the statement he put out today. That's what, Okay, can I have the floor and rant for one yes. second? I'm sorry. Mike Babcock, again, the statement that he put out today, I honestly thought that somebody tweeted as a joke and it was a parody, honestly. He, he, the first person he thanked was Larry Tannenbaum, fine. I'm, I'm sure he was involved in bringing you to Toronto, but I'm sorry, Mike, Brendan Shanahan brought you to Toronto. Larry mm-hmm. Tannenbaum is the face of the MLSE ownership, but he, I'm sure he signed off on it to sign the checks, but Brendan Shanahan brought you here. And then talking about and MLSC's checkbook. Exactly. And then talking about Lou Lamorello and the job you did together, 
taking a franchise where it was, and I'm doing air quotes right now, to where we had 100-point seasons, sure, you had Austin Matthews. Like the, it, it's not... I think a lot is made about the imprints that Lou put on this team, and he really did not do much, if we're being honest. He made a couple nice moves. He made more really poor moves. Yeah. He did. Like, that's fine. So you, you thank Lou Lamorello, who's your former GM, who hasn't been a member of this organization for two years now it is? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Again, you're putting out a press release about Toronto, but okay. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he, he talks about thanking players, specifically Morgan Riley. Do you want to know something about inter- interesting about Morgan Riley? He's the only player on this roster that was brought here before Kyle Dubas got here. If you don't think that he's putting that in this press release intentionally, you don't know Mike Babcock. Because this is exactly who it is. His ego and his stubbornness shines through with every word of this press release. And you know what? I expected a little better from him. You don't even have to do this big thing. Just thank the fans, thank the organization, and go. The three people he singled out are for a reason. He singled out Larry Tannenbaum, so you don't have to talk about Brendan Shannon. He singled out Lou Lamorello to put shade on Kyle Dubas. And he singled out Morgan Riley to put shade on players like Austin Matthews and Mitch Martin. That's what I believe. Maybe you can disagree. But just think about everything you know about Mike Babcock and his career. You Would you put it past him to do something like this? No, you shouldn't, no, no. and he did it. And that's all I got to no, say. No. Now I hope I never have to talk about Mike Babcock again. Never Done. again. I mean, Lou Lamorello... I mean, the wild thing is, who brought in John Tavares to the Leafs? Oh, Kyle Dubas, we know that, but that'll never be mentioned. And Lou Lamorello was literally the opposition. Yeah. Lou Lamorello was trying to pull ta- John Tavares to the island. This is Back true. to the this, island. And I've heard this from, I don't have sources, but I've heard this from multiple people. If Lou Lamorello was still the GM of the Leafs, John Tavares would not be a Toronto Maple Leaf. I can that say that with very, very high certainty. Because what people don't realize, Lou Lamorello is very. I want to say he can be very bullish on his contract negotiations, and I think the Leafs had to make, from what I heard, a big adjustment in their offer to John Tavares because he said, I'm not taking 15 mil for one year. You offer me long term or I don't come. And they bent kind of thing. If that was Lou Lamorello, I don't know if he's going to be, if he would do that, and I don't know if John Tavares ends up as a Leaf as a result of that. So. Anywho, one thing I want to mention about Sheldon Keith that we missed. Uh, they, Sorry, let's get back to Keith. You're right. Yeah, one. They were actually supposed that his last year in Sault Ste. Marie, they had a stacked roster, and I heard from one player that played on there that they were actually supposed to win it all. Um, I think they lost to they lost to uh, Connor McDavid's Erie Otters. They thought uh, it was um, one player on this team thought that they had the better team kind of thing, and they lost. So that's the literally. The only knock that I have on Sheldon but Keith, they, they, and they, I had that to was in, dig that for was in the it. third round. That's all I lost yeah, the first round. and they lost to Connor McDavid's team. So. Yeah, so that's I, that's the only knock that I had to have. And like, yeah, the other thing that I, I know about Sheldon Keith, I played hockey with a guy that was like, I had more points in Bantam than Sheldon Keith. But what happened? He's like, I didn't like to run as Sheldon did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those are, those are the two only the two things that I can only dig up about Sheldon Keith. And one of them's not even that. One of them's that he ended up a good good hockey player, which he did. So, anywho, um, our newest segment we're going to throw out there. Hey, Sheldon. So, what do you think Sheldon Keith's got to do to make this team, to put this team back on track, not even make them successful. I think, I think, I, I don't know. I think a monkey with a drum could honestly coach this team to eighth place. So, 
put him back on track. What do you think Keith has to do? So, the first thing I want to say is, Sheldon, when I look after game 82 of the NHL regular season, and I look at the ice time for Austin Matthews and John Tavares, the first two numbers need to be a 20. They need to be averaging over 20 minutes a game. Again, Matthews is averaging 19.50, and Tavares, I know he was injured, is averaging 18.26 this year. This is extremely important to me. Our top two centers are the best, in, arguably, in the entire NHL, honestly. Whether you consider McDavid, Dressail, whatever, Crosby, Malkin, they're up there. Like These guys <laughs> are absolute horses. Keep these guys on the ice. Impose your will. Stop playing defensively. Attack. We have better players on the ice. We have more talented offensive players. Attack. And I think he's going to do that. It's going to be an aggressive style. We're going to see right away. It's going to remind you a lot more of the Leafs of three years ago mm -hmm. than the Leafs of this year. In terms of the first year that all these kids came in and how maybe they, did, they weren't great defensively. I'm not, I would never say that. But we were fun to watch. We were a high-powered offensive team. That's one thing that's happened this year that's been so disappointing. Is They've tried to play a different system. A, it's not even worked defensively. They're defensive. They've been terrible defensively. Mm -hmm. And B, it's neutered their entire offense. So, again, uh, for me, number one, let's get those two centers to playing the majority of the ice time. Let's get them to 20 minutes a game. Uh, I do agree. I was just trying to take a look exactly who. Yeah, Connor McDavid, best player in the league, 22 12, I believe. I think and then Leon, Leon Dries at 22 Right. So. And then, yeah, Mark Shifley, 21.45. So there are a lot of... Uh, Jack Eichel, 21.18. There are a lot of guys that are playing in the 20s. The list goes on and on. Patrick King, Alex Ovechkin. The elite Sidney players... Sidney Crosby, right? Yeah, Sidney Crosby, 20.32. And again, Connor Brown, 20.32. It's <laughs> not like we're saving these guys for anything. All right, so Matthews is, is a, a... Load management. He's a low 20 stud, man. This guy can go. He's ready to score. He wants to play. Get yeah, this guy out there. Exactly. It's not the NBA. You can't do. You can't practice load management here. But with that being said, hey, Sheldon, the special teams have to be put back on track. You cannot be a negative in the special teams. You cannot have this much five-on-five -five talent and put forth such a terrible power play. It makes no sense to me. There has to be adjustments. There has to be a lot more movement with the puck. What I've seen from the least power play, it goes to one guy. He holds it. He holds it. He moves a little bit. He sends it to another guy who does the same thing. The puck never gets to a scoring area. They never get a good look. I think I saw one, and it was obviously Nylander putting it way over the net, which he does at times. The secondly, the, the, the penalty kill... Some teams, sure, you can play conservatively and allow Frederick Anderson. I'm not even going to say the goaltender because I don't know. Like, who's going to play backup for us this year? Like, oh, It'll be me, hopefully. Shout out Sheldon. Um, but there are some teams where you can, like, there are some teams like Washington where you cannot play and allow them to have the outside and allow them to have time with the puck and space and have open guys get one-timers. Like, an Alex Ovechkin one-timer from, like, the blue line is a scoring chance. It's outside the scoring area. It's a scoring chance. And they did not make adjustments in some games, and it blew my mind. So the special teams needs to be fixed. 
Number two, the defensive deployment. Oh. And I think you'd agree with this one. <laughs> like, you're not deploying Tyson Berry, I don't think, to his max potential. I honestly can't touch on this one too, too much more because then it becomes, then how do you do it? I was thinking, okay, in an ideal world, you do Morgan Riley, Tyson Berry, you put them more in offensive roles because Morgan Riley can't play defense, evidently. But then your second pairing, unless you put Dermot Muzzin together, it's going to be Dur- um, like... I hope I hope Keith doesn't put Muzz in CC, or I hope he doesn't keep CC in the top six, even though CC's my guy, and I'll say it till the end. Stole. I don't know why, but <laughs> I said it, I said it <laughs> once, and I, I'm not uh, going back on that one. Um, but yeah, I think I think putting Barry Riley together more offensively, having to allow Muzzin to take more of that defensive role, put him with Dermot, put him. Uh, I think Dermot would actually be a perfect pick there because Muzzin, not the most fleet of foot, but is still a very good defenseman. Dermot, obviously an incredible skater. I think they can move the puck together very well. The bottom line, I think, you're right. It's going to be tough to find the exact mix, but the top three needs to be Muzzin, Riley, Barry, and not Cody Ceci. Not Cody Ceci. That's it. Uh, Right? He needs to be on our bottom three. You know what? He needs to be off this team. But 100% please. the top three is Muzzin, Barry, Riley. And you know how you find out who your fourth is? You, keep you try something yeah. new. Yeah. And that's... Uh, we're not going back on it. But you try something new. So Special teams, defensive deployment. Got to change. So I think a lot of simple tweaks will make... For a really nice turnaround for this team by the All-Star Brigade. I think, I, I'm not going to say how quick it's going to happen, but I, I think in the next five games, I'm going to have, how about a bold prediction? Go. They're going to win four of the next five games. Four of the next five? Yep. Okay. That brings in, I think, last, uh, the upcoming games. So, the upcoming games we're looking at are Arizona, Colorado, and then Detroit. Detroit, yep. we really don't have to touch on much. But Arizona, Colorado, how do you see those shaking out? I mean, Arizona is probably not the most fun team for you to play when you have a new coach. They're going to grind you. They're going to be a yeah. low event game. But yeah. again, it's still you're lucky it's not Vegas again or whatever. You can beat Arizona. We're better than Arizona. Yeah. And I know they don't get a lot of respect. They're still a good hockey club. They played really well this year. Two good goalies. They have a really good defense core. Probably the most underrated defense core yeah. in the NHL, in my opinion. The it, system. It's a great it's a system grind. as well. And it's a grind. It's going to be tough. We saw it happen to the Leafs last year. I think we lost 2-1. Yeah. that's the, Those are the games they play. Though, offensively right? chopped us. Um, but yeah, I, I think they... Sh- and again, going into that building, it's like kind of a sleeper building. Like they, they do a good job of taking their strengths and playing to their strengths. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I believe... I don't know if they have the least amount of goals against, but they're uh, for they're sure a lot there. of Dar- Darcy Kemper went from almost out of the league to... Like now he's 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 playing all he's putting up some fantastic numbers. Yeah, and it's gonna be. I mean, Phil Kessel, an old friend. We're gonna. It's, yeah. It's, it's gonna be an interesting game. It, it's, it's. If you if you want to if we're being honest in terms of the makeup of the rosters, it couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Leafs top heavy forwards, a couple of good defensemen, but not not the most defensively minded players. The Coyotes are the opposite. Mm-hmm. They have six defensemen who all play defense really. Yeah. And their forwards are encouraged to not really play that run-and-gun style and play within the system. You know what? For their roster, it works for them. 
Mm-hmm. Which is what the Leafs should do too for their roster. They should do what works. Big buy. It's a big buy-in roster, I think. And then I mean, the game against Colorado will be tough. They're on fire right now. They're one of the best teams in yeah. the league. They got their starting goalies back too, yeah. which yeah. is never. And those are two tough road games. Honestly, they are. But I really think that we're going to see a quick turnaround here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what's the injury situation? Oh, Landis Cog is still out. Rantanen's still out, but which helps. Yes. And first game against Kadri, which should be interesting. You know he's going to be taking runs at oh, some of his former players. It's going to be fun. It's gonna be, it'll be interesting to see who Nassim Kadri hates because I think we're really going to see it this yeah, game. I for mean, sure. He's not been one to mince his emotions. I mean, remember that time he, he threw up the... the, the the next slip. So Geo? I think yeah. Yeah, I do remember. Not a couple games there. I mean, just this this suspension history has been wild. Late throat slit, um, killing Jake DeBrusque almost. Um, and the list goes on. So yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting one. But um, and then Tyson Berry returned to That's Colorado. True. It'll be interesting to see that uh, tribute video there. Uh, but and yeah, this a lot of guys on Colorado. I was looking at the roster today. I mean, Nate McKinnon, obviously, you expect it. Kale McCarr is over a point a game. Burakovsky is 18 and 21. Donskoy, 15 and 21. And then, I mean, and then their goaltending has been good enough. I mean, not, nothing too great, but Grubauer, who presumably is getting that start, has been uh, 917, which is all right. So. I think that one would be very interesting, but you need some wins. Hopefully, we can get Sheldon Keefe off on, on the right foot. foot. That would, sure. be, would be very ideal, and I, I think the players will buy in. And I think, yeah, four out of five, I think, is very realistic. It, I mean, it's very optimistic, but I think in, in, my, in my heart, realistic. How about, so. I have one more thing I want to touch on. Yeah. The, the thing that I've heard most often regarding... The, the ripple effects of this fire is that, oh, now it falls on Kyle Dubas. I heard people say, oh, Kyle Dubas doesn't want to fire Mike Babcock because now all the pressure's on him. If you know that anything about sense. Kyle Dubas, first of all, don't you think he wants this pressure? He brought these players in, he's confident in his abilities, and he's confident in this roster. Mm-hmm. And now, sure, a lot of the blame's on him, but he has the control now. Yeah. That's the difference. He, he would rather have this than them than the previous situation where oh maybe the, some of the blame was on Mike Babcock but he didn't have complete control over his yeah. roster really and it's it's going to be very beneficial for this team trust me to have their coach and their general manager working in unison together one more thing I heard pointed out that bothers me till to the end to the core how are you gonna win with four forwards making 40 million dollars please guys Look at the depth on this roster. The yeah. depth on this team is not bad. It's not. There's a lot of good players on a lot of good contracts mm-hmm. on this team. There's really been nobody that signing these four forwards has has lost that the Leafs have lost. You want to say Kadri? No, they didn't lose Kadri. Okay. Yeah. The thing they lost is a first round pick to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. Yeah. And that's because he had Patrick Marlowe's contract that he had to inherit from everyone's favorite general manager, Lou Lamorello. Trust in Kyle Dubas. He's a smart guy. He thinks his moves through. And trust me, we will be better off mm-hmm. for Mike Babcock being replaced by Sheldon Keefe. 
I mean, yeah. And also on top of that, the other option for the Leafs GM at the time of Kyle Dubas, Mark Hunter. How good? How good's his team doing? His NHL team, I'll mm. say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that didn't go the way a lot of people thought, did it? <laughs> no, he's. He's back in London, although London is a wagon. Oh, well, I mean, they could be a wagon of me as the GM and you as the coach, so. I mean, yeah, with, with those pockets. Right, I mean, exactly. Yeah, you'll, you'll like yeah, You're right, that's a good point. Everyone reason. loved Mark Hunter. Brandon, Pru- Brandon Press, did you see what he tweeted today? No, I It was, uh, oh, this team would be way better off with Mark Hunter. But, I mean, he's a London boy. Yeah, of course. Now they you, love Mark Hunter to the core. You don't think he, you think he got GM offers? Really? He'd probably be an NHL GM if he got GM offers. You know what it is about Kyle Dubas? This is my opinion. People don't like seeing guys who are out of the norm in hockey succeed. Even though this guy's about as hockey as it gets without playing in the league. He was a scout when he was a teenager. He was an agent that people forget about this. That he was a certified NHL Players Association agent. He was a GM in the OHL, AHL, and now the NHL. That's literally about as prototype of a succession plan as any GM today other than playing in the NHL. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. again, people like to talk. They say whatever they want. Yeah. At the end of the day, in my humble opinion, this is a great move for the Leafs. It's a great day to be a Leafs fan other than the fact that their li- their record is not good right mm-hmm. now. But trust me, it's going to turn around. They're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. They're going to make some noise. One funny thing to close off on, one guy was telling me, uh, a, a, pl- a former player of the London Knights, uh, he was kicking in the minor leagues. He was looking for a contract, mainly an ECHL guy. He was talking to Mark Hunter, and Mark Hunter went to him at the end of the conversation like, hey, if you need anything, let me know. And he said to Hunter, he's like, yeah, how about a one-way AHL deal? He said, no, but anything else, <laughs> I'll be on that. That's so. a good story. I have, I have actually one more thing. I just This is for Leafs fans, Leafs fans specifically. This is a great point brought up by our friend Alex Felici. The media likes to create a lot of narratives and say a lot. But if you were paying attention on the radio or in, on Twitter in the last week or so, whenever the topic of Mike Babcock being fired came up, unanimously all of these so-called insiders said that it probably is not going to happen as soon as people think. This shows you that in the past, sure, there were a lot of leaks within the Leafs organization, but please, Leafs fans, don't overreact to what a lot of these insiders are saying because it seems like they don't have the scoops that people may think they have because I'll tell you what, this 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 firing was not something that people were saying was going to happen. It really wasn't. Yeah, if you, no. Not Dreger, not Bad Ernst, not not Dreger, not Bob, not Friedman, nobody. And you know what? It happened. So just take everything that's said about this team with a grain of salt. Exactly, exactly. I think that's a, a great place to close off on. Uh, thank you everyone for listening again, and uh, we will see you next week on. Friday, probably the episode is going to drop. Take care.